Jeremy Pate, P3 Petroleum. Outstanding. Thank you for joining the program here today. We wanted to talk a little bit about some enhanced oil recovery. I'm uh, pretty familiar with it up in the Bakken where I'm headquartered out of, but uh, you're out of Houston, so I'm, I'm just excited can, as, as can be to find out what's going down in Houston in the enhanced oil recovery market because it's, it's booming up here in the Bakken. We've got uh, EERC, the Environmental uh, Energy Environmental Research Center that's uh, working with a lot of industry folk trying to advance the um, oil recovery. And uh, Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me on, Jason. Well, I appreciate you coming on because this is really a, a part of the industry that has just been, you know, doing really well. It's it, it hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but it seems to be a way that producers are making some money and, and they're figuring out a way to uh, get some more out of the wells. So talk to me a little bit about uh, what your company does for the industry and what exactly enhanced oil recovery is for some of the listeners out there. Well, P3 Petroleum, we're, we're an oil and gas operator. We operate uh, in the DJ Basin in Colorado primarily, but we also have some assets in Montana as well as Louisiana and in, in various parts in Texas. Uh, so, you know, we, uh, we operate around 250 wells across all those states. And, uh, I, you know, I started very first uh, looking at enhanced oil recovery about, I guess, a year, a year and a half ago. And uh, petro, petrochemicals has always been my background, drilling fluids, completion fluids production chemicals, stuff like that. And so I started really getting interested in, in, in enhanced oil recovery and just kind of dove into it and started looking at several different products and trying to find out what everybody was doing and get, gaining information. Uh, so, you know, I really studied it hard for, for six months or so. And then, uh, you know, we got the opportunity to go, go do some of our own wells and really apply a couple different chemistries to those wells, and, and we saw some really good results. And uh, so then we, we, we attacked, you know, we, we're kind of in evaluation phase right now. We, we've treated 10 wells, and uh, all those wells are doing very well. Um, they've all increased production, and uh, some better than others. And uh, I think we've kind of identified one product that we, we really are comfortable with, and we've seen the most results out of, and that's probably going to be our direction going forward. How would you describe enhanced oil recovery for the average person out there? It's a little bit different than, than just regular oil production. Yeah, so enhanced oil recovery is going to be a, it's, it's a secondary stimulation application. So after your well's been completed or fracked or whatever it is you've done primarily for the, the first completion phase of your well, and enhanced oil recovery is coming back in and and performing a stimulation to increase production back to prior levels of decline, or or trying to get back some of that production. Just give your well a little bit of a boost, you know. And it, and it, and the, the the products work for for oil wells as well as gas wells. And so I guess that's how I would kind of describe it. You mentioned you're in the DJ down the Permian uh, Powder River, I think is what you said. Uh, the Bach in Montana, um, that sort of area. Are you finding it, uh, there's a shale play that works easier with the prices the way they are, or is it pretty universally priced? Because I know a lot of times when you're, when you're fracking, you know, you go 10 feet to the left or 10 feet to the right, and, and the soil can, and the, the geometry and chemistry can be completely different. How is it in the enhanced oil recovery part? Well, you know, the first thing is, is uh, you 
you have to do a lot of lab work. You have to do a lot of uh, analysis on your water samples, your oil samples. You know, you got to you got to take a look at what what the prior frack was, what the prior completion was, whether it was a you know a slick water frack or or a gel gel water or maybe it was an acid frack. You know, so you, you need to do a little bit of study. And it's not like shooting fish in the barrel. Oh, we're just going to go out here and pump this down hole, and and it's going to it's going to bring us back more oil. So you kind of got to do some studying on it, you know, and, and figure out, you know, if what you're pumping down the hole is compatible with your with your formation in your reservoir. And then, you know, you kind of uh, take approach of, you know, okay, now, you know, I tried it. I've tried a couple different products. There's there's some out there that are acid replacements, uh, more more along the lines of just perf cleanouts. And we did those. We did some of the, we used some of those products, and we had success with those. But uh, the real the the real barn burner product was a product called CS fifty two, and uh, you know we got that from a, a vendor of ours, and and it's a little bit it's more like a uh, it's really more like a refrack almost like you you you, you really go in and you, you find out what the radius of your initial frack was your frack radius there, and then you try to you try to almost like flush the reservoir with a surfactant. And uh, it's a nano surfactant, and so what we do is we have the, the rock data analyzed to find out what your, your pore throats are or your permeability in that rock. And then we try to have the, have the nano surfactant designed to be smaller than the pore throats in the rock. And so what we want to do is coat the rock with this surfactant. And when we do that, it unlocks, it unlocks more hydrocarbons in, in, other, in, in other parts of the reservoir. So what you're essentially trying to do is just really create more connectivity with parts of the reservoir that you haven't been able to reach. You mentioned the word refrack, and I know when I was learning about uh, enhanced oil recovery early on, it sounded a lot like refracking to me. Is it? Does that get confused often with the average person in the industry? Do you have to? Is there an easy way to kind of? differentiate the two a little bit because it, it was it was somewhat confusing for me but i'm not you know in a deep like you are every day yeah I, I mean it can be sometimes the way i have to describe it to somebody is it maybe that's not as well versed in it as i am or you are or you know as a refract you know it is a it is a post-secondary stimulation is the actual what i would term it and uh but the, the difference is is you're not you know you already have your fractures in place you know, your perforations, your pipes down hole, you've already come in and shattered your rock previously. And what this is, is just trying to unlock parts of the reservoir and create connectivity with that part of the reservoir that you haven't been able to get, that you haven't been able to reach. So whenever you go in and frack a rock, you have spider, spider web legs of the res down inside the reservoir or whatever, for whatever reason, you're not getting connectivity with that. And so what you're trying to, and usually it's because there's a small, skim layer of paraffin that is holding that oil in the rock and that's what we're trying to unlock we're trying to get back into those little nooks and crannies that we couldn't get the first time and we send the surfactant down there to uh kind of kind of you know help help the paraffin out and and release the oil there's certainly some different innovation going on in the world of enhanced oil recovery uh up in the bakken where like i said where, where, where i get a lot of information firsthand uh, they're doing a new type of oil, enhanced oil recovery with Hess. 
uh, and the ERC that is um, primarily they were using carbon dioxide before injecting that, but now they're looking at doing some sort of a natural gas foam or something along those lines, and they think that might catch on a little bit. Are you familiar with some of these different uh, uh, science projects that are going up here in the Bakken? Um, and, and what type of, are you guys using carbon or natural gas foam? How, how is it that you guys are doing that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with what's going on up in, uh, in other places with the EOR. Uh, you know, actually, the, you know, acid treatments and, and, and CO2, huff and puff treatments, those things have been around for many years, you know. So those are all, I would term those all part of enhanced oil recovery as well. Now, you know, as of today, I don't think anybody really does because those things have been around, so it's just an acid job or a CO2 job. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not up to date on the foam process they're using, but what we are using is just basically, you know, uh, either, either just regular water or we use a, a sodium chloride brine, you know, a cut brine fluid, and then we treat that. We use, you know, a, a surfactant called CS52, and we treat that water with anywhere from 10 to 15 gallons per thousand, and then we pump it down hole. You know, and, and so if my initial frack on the well I'm treating was, say, 200, it's an, I'm just going to use a nominal number, uh, say that, that was 160,000 barrels, then what I'll, I'll try and do is take the, that data, take my Young's modulus and my Poisson ratios, and uh, I'll try and determine what I think the, the estimated volume in the reservoir are, and then I'll, I'll pump uh, enough, enough uh, volume down there to try and flush that reservoir out and get the rest of that oil, oil in the pool with with the current oil. So that, that's kind of the process. I, you know, this isn't some, this is kind of something I just came up with on the fly. You know, through trial and error and trying a few different products, and and it's what's been successful for myself and P3. How are how are the results being? Um, one of the things about the refrac was there was you know it was such a sharp decline, I guess after. It, w- it was done, but it, like you said, it was a secondary way to come in and get some of the get, get some of the oil out of there that was still there. Uh, what type of results are you guys getting on these? Uh, are they are they long lasting? Are they quick? And then you got to go to another one. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so far right now everything is holding firm. Okay, you know um, what we we've, we've seen. You know we've we've tried some of the the products that are acid replacements that are more along the line of uh, perf cleanouts, and with those products we saw anywhere from double, you know, the initial, you know, double what the production was previously, so if it was a five barrel a day well, you know, that well would increase to ten barrels a day, and it, it's, they're all hanging in there. Now, um, some of the wells that we've treated with the CS52 uh, product, the, the surfactant I've explained, uh, pretty thoroughly uh you know those wells we have big upside on those and those are all hanging in there uh i, I used it on a well that was uh had dropped down to completed all the way down to uh two barrels a day and that well has been making 15 barrels a day for the last four months and i have probably three or four other wells that are very similar to that one that we treated the cs with cs 152 as well can hardly look at the news these days without seeing some sort of um negative or depressing or uh, not a very flattering story about the energy industry. I just got off the line with uh, 
a company that's doing great. And so there are a lot of companies that are doing pretty well out there. It's just, it's kind of like, you know, there's still money circulating around the planet. It just seems like you got to find a different way to make the steak sandwich and you got to find a different way to let people know about the steak sandwich in today's marketplace. How are you guys doing? You know, I mean, there's a lot of companies that are tightening their belt a little bit. You guys seem like uh, um, the oil enhanced recovery would be a good bridge for a lot of people right now. Well, I think, you know, we're, we're holding our own. Uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, I think we're tightening up a little bit too, just to kind of see what, how things are going to play out, you know, but, uh, you know, I think, I, I guess we're, we're probably operating passively, aggressively. I've never heard that phrase like that. We're operating passively aggressively. I've heard of fighting like that, but uh, how how do you operate passively aggressively? Uh, I think you know you you wait and you pick your moments to go make to to go make your hay. You know, like we 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 set out a plan to do this uh, enhanced oil recovery stuff and increase production across our field, and we've accomplished that. And so right now we're kind of sitting back, chomping at the bit to go do some more. But you know we don't want to. you know, we want to watch. We want to watch this production until after the first of the year to see if it's going to hang in there, to see if it's going to drop off, if it's, if it's going to be rock solid. And we're going to have to do this uh, in, a, in another six months from now uh, to keep this production level up. So, uh, you know, maybe passive aggressive kind of wasn't uh, the right term. Uh, maybe more like wait and see. I was going to say it, it sounds to me like waiting in the weeds. You know, lying in the weeds a little bit for the right opportunity to strike. And, uh, um, right. you know, we, we think we found uh, the answers. We think we found some answers to um, what we need most, which is increased production, which by, by proxy brings increased cash flow. So uh, we think we found those answers, but uh, we're cautiously optimistic and, and we're just kind of waiting to see. What's next for you guys? Uh, to, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you're going to wait and see on some things. Of course, you've got Colorado. They've, they're, passing um, countywide and statewide different rules and regulations when it comes to oil and gas. Wyoming's got a BLM uh, restrictions happening there. Uh, the Bakken is, is pretty open for business still if you have the right access to the right people. Uh, what, what's next for you guys in, in 2020, you know, in terms of, you know, besides the wait and see, have you got any, uh, you know, do, do you want to get into the Marcellus or the Utica or anything like that? I think that I think we'll look look very hard in Texas, Louisiana, North Dakota, Montana, maybe uh, maybe Wyoming, you know. But uh, we're interested in all those different basins and in those different states. Uh, obviously, the the regulations imposed in Colorado are, are in some of the things that they're still trying to pass for next year uh, has kind of further put us in wait and see mode. There, uh, to be quite honest, we were very aggressive earlier in the summer and, and then you know uh, COGCC kind of got a wild hair and, and you know wanted to uh, pass some you know impose some leg- legislation that would be very detrimental to small operators such as ourselves and so I guess that's kind of pigeonholed us back in the wait and see mode you know um, so I guess we saw something we liked in Wyoming Montana I would take Wyoming out of it, actually, but Montana, North Dakota, Louisiana, or Texas, I think we'll probably jump on it. Okay. That was an interesting comment you made about uh, the smaller operators, because I've heard that over and over again, that a lot of these 
new rules and regulations, you know, the bigger companies don't like them, but they can withstand them. They can take the hit, whereas the smaller companies, they can't. It's very correct. It's very true. Yeah. You know, okay. I mean, like, um, you know, they're just, they're making, COGCC is making it very painful to um, do anything as a small guy up there. I mean, it's just, you know, they're just, they're just needling you to death with the regulations and, and they're, you know, and to their credit, they, they're making everybody do the same thing. So you can't really complain too much. You know what I mean? But it's, um, you can't be a, it's going to be very, very hard to be um, a stripper well operator or, you know, vertical well operator in, in Colorado. You know, you're, you're going to have to have the, the big time wells that are that are producing 500 barrels a day or better and a million MCF or whatever the average is, you know. And but the bigger, you know, let me tell you something, Jason. The bigger question is is uh, with all these regulations in place, they've got a whole bunch of drilling going on and they're they're barn burners and all that. Everything looks good right now, but what is going to be the case five years from now when those wells aren't doing that? That you know, and they, and all those guys are still having to pay the same amount of regulation. I don't even, yeah, I know, and, and, and I, I'll even go a step further. I, I think in two years it's going to be just problematic because, you know, I mean, you and I could probably, just off the top of our head, name enough layoff stories that have happened in the last few months to reach over a couple thousand people. That's, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel pretty confident that I could do that just off the top of my head. A lot of those people, they got, you know, they, they got Christmas and they've got severance packages and they've got unemployment. Well, when that runs out next summer, that's when I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. And then when the new budgets come out for the legislative sessions and all of a sudden they don't have the oil and gas billion dollars in, in, in extraction taxes helping out the school districts anymore. That's what I'm, I'm curious to see because... That snuck up on everybody during the 2014 downturn because the elected, uh, the elected officials and a lot of the industry leaders were coming out saying, we're remaining positive. We think things are going to turn around. And they were really wrong. They, they, they were very wrong to, uh, in my opinion, they were very wrong to give people false hope as long as they did. They should have came out and said, hey, this will be a two, three-year deal. And the way the ener energy industry works out is they shut off the spigots for people. You know, a lot of people, this was their first go-around in the energy industry. They didn't know that. So I, I, I think that, I think there needs to be a little bit of a, a reality check what's going on here because um, it, it might be a little difficult next year when, what like what you said, when... Um, things come to fruition, and in my examples, when things come to fruition, do you know what I mean by that? When these things actually come home to roost, I think it's going to hit hard. Well, I, I do. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because, and I, you know what? I, I guess uh, now that you, you know, after listening to what you said, I, I think I have to kind of, you know, uh, uh, retract my previous statement and 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 kind of follow up what you said by, you know, two years is a good idea is a good timeline because. All these wells are getting drilled right now. Yeah, they're going to make 800 barrels a day or 1,000 barrels a day for the next two years. But when they hit that hyperbolic decline and they go down to 200 barrels a day, that's going to be the tell of the tape, you know, because now you're still paying the regulations that you had when you were when you were producing 800 barrels a day. How are those economics with those regulations at 200 barrels a day? You know, and then, you know, what, what do you, where, what, where do you, 
go from that point as an operator. You know, I mean, if it's 200 barrels a day and you can't afford it, do you just shut it all in and, and lay off your people and walk away from it? Or, you know, I mean, what's the, what's the game plan from there? You know? The only thing I've seen is more taxes. That's all I've seen coming out from the, from the elected officials is they're going to solve this Absolutely. problem by taxing more people. And that's even a little bit of a ruse, too, because we just spent five, ten years bashing the 1%. So the average person thinks that if we're going to raise taxes, it's going to be on the rich. When they don't understand, it's going to be on you. That's correct. It's, it, that, yeah, the biggest impact is going to come from the middle class. And, and you know, uh, the middle class is primarily, and oil and gas is pretty, pretty much made up from, of middle class people, you know. Oh, it is without a doubt. It's in fact, um, it's over the last decade, uh, up until this last year, the energy industry was the only industry, the mining industry, but it was actually the energy, uh, the oil and gas industry within the mining industry, was the only industry that added jobs that had a net gain of jobs. So all this huge IPO, millennial startup, let's do the apps and the technology, they didn't sustain. It, they, they didn't sustain the companies uh, and all, all the, the new me- medical technologies and everything else. At the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of the decade, they did not have a net gain in jobs. The only industry that did was the oil and gas industry within the mining industry. And they even lost some coal people that is in the mining industry as well. So the oil and gas industry, if they don't add jobs, I don't know where the jobs are going to be added. Yeah, I, I, I totally, totally agree with you. I'll, and I'll take that. I'll try. I'll further your point a little bit. And I'll tell you that my my belief is that the United States of America's GDP goes as the oil industry goes. You know, you look at when when the current administration we have was getting three 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 uh, percent on their GDP and all that. You know, oil and gas was good. That was what a, a, about a year and a half ago, and everybody was great. Oil and gas was up. GDP for the country was good. Next thing you know, oil and gas starts kind of going down a little bit. There's a lot of bankruptcies, mergers going on. You know, look at the GDP now. It's it's still above two, but it's not it's not the record levels that we were at. You know, 18 months ago. It's going to be an interesting 2020. I've got on record saying 2020 is going to be the most important year in the oil and gases history, and I, I really do believe that because of a, just a variety of things hitting them at the same time. It's going to be interesting as we go into the political year because all the signs right now are that the economy is not going to be very good going into next election. And um, I don't think Trump will have any problem taking a step back and pointing the finger at the uh, rise of environmentalism as the issue for the economy. I I think that is going to be the number one topic going into uh, next election is going to be the environment and it's going to be wrapped in with energy and the economy. Your thoughts on that? Uh, I I completely agree. Com- totally agree because the one thing is that you you know when with unemployment at an all time low, you have more people out there working and more people driving cars, so they need gas to go to, to go to work. So it, it's it's uh, it's clear that we're not at the phase with electric vehicles that all these environmentalists want us to be at. You know so. Okay, if you want to, if you want to make this big push to go to renewable energy, you want to go to solar farms, you want to go to wind power, all that, all that environmental stuff you want to do. Show, show the American people the, the plan to do that economically. 
to where the country doesn't tank and go into a recession and everybody gets to still make a living. You know, I don't think it's possible because there's a town here in Texas called Georgetown, Texas, just north of Austin. They signed up for that uh, Al Gore plan to go all renewable. Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg even came in and gave them a, a, a bunch of money from their charity. You know, they put up wind farms. They were going all renewable. They did that for a year. The county commissioners voted on it. Okay, so you know what they did here just recently? They voted that plan out. And the reason why they voted that plan out was because renewables could not heat their homes at night during the wintertime. And the city ran up a $7 million natural gas bill. And it was going to cause all the citizens of Georgetown, which is about 75,000 people, it was going to cause their their electric bills to be about $1,000 a month for the next year to pay down that supplemental gas bill. And nobody is going to be held accountable for the people that used media trust, access, leadership, all those different things that that got the people of Georgetown to buy into it with unproven science, with unproven models. Now, they have them. They have, they, they have uh, projections and models, but they're not accurate. They haven't even been able to predict. That's true. Well, no, they haven't been able to pre- predict the climate for ten years. I mean, the climate. Oh, no, I mean, you're you're talking about one of the most complex things on the planet, and and we're going to let a bunch of attorneys figure this out for us because you got to remember a lot of this law and regulation, which Mother Earth doesn't care about our laws and regulations, but a lot of this is decided by attorneys in the courtroom, and I don't think science should be decided in the courtroom. I really don't, but it is. And in Germany, a very similar thing happened to where now they had to fire up the coal plants this year. And what is it? Their their heat bills are up four to six times what they were when they started the green initiative, when they started the renewable thing. Sounds like in Texas, after one year, they experienced what Germany took them five, six years to realize. Is, right. is that well, it really you know, doesn't make the place any greener. It just costs everybody more green. Well, exactly, because, you know, you know, when I, I just don't think we're, we're far enough into the whole wind farm thing to really understand what, the, what impact the wind farms have on the environment. Because, you know, they have some ga- greenhouse gas affecting going on and all that. You know, and what, what Georgetown, Texas found out was that, that Al Gore and Michael Bloomberg, they, they had, a, they had the, uh, the, the answer for them, you know, which was a, a $400 million battery system. Okay, so that's that's what everybody was going to, that's what Georgetown was going to have to spend to stay on renewable energy, was everybody was going to have to have a bank of batteries and a solar panel on their roof to be able to supplement the wind farms and the, you know, and stuff like that. And it's, there is no economical answer to renewable energy right now. Not on a large scale. Um, I've, I've said for years that in my opinion, farmers were more advanced with wind energy when they, more efficient, when they were able to get water and power their pole barn and that sort of thing, because that's really all they needed. And you know what? It, it worked just fine with that one windmill they had on their farm. And in solar, yeah, they've gotten us, you know, a, a camping charger for our cell phone. That's probably about the most affordable that they've, they've gotten. You know, um, after 40 years of subsidies, they haven't even hit their milestones. They haven't hit their benchmarks. Um, I do think it's time that it, th- those uh, subsidies sunset because after 40 years, 
I think we should maybe pay attention. I honestly believe we should be diverting a lot of those subsidies from wind and solar to natural gas. Now, natural gas is clean. Natural gas is clean. Natural gas is actually a problem right now. We have flaring to the tune to where the operators have to pay people to take it out of the Permian. And in the Bakken, where they get a, they get a buck or two, just like you know, three bucks is going for natural gas. Imagine if a lot of these smart, clever capitalists that are risking their families and their livelihoods, sleeping at well sites, trying to check methane levels. Imagine if they got a $50,000, $100,000 injection of cash. Oh my word, we might be able to find some new way to make plastic that is super plastic and everybody can have a pool in their backyard for 1500 bucks, and we no longer need plastic bags and straws. And Oh, I'm serious. I really, I mean, down in the Permian, I talked to a guy three years ago that was trying to figure out a way to take natural gas and make water out of it for greenhouses. Now, I have no idea how he's going to do it, but good for him. Give that guy some money. Let's see if he can do it because the solar guy, like I said, the best they can do is they can give me a cell phone charger for when I go camping. But until they can figure out batteries, how to make them a terawatt of storage, it ain't going to happen. It's just not happening. Anyway, sorry, I got on my soapbox there. Yeah, no, no worries. Very good point, though, Jason. Very good point. So what's next for you guys? Uh, you know, you're looking at, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to hold steady. You're going to kind of lay in the weeds a little bit. Uh, but, um, you know, use this opportunity. Give yourself a plug out there if you're looking for any, any new business anywhere. If you're, if you're looking to, you know, uh, get some partners, kind of give yourself a little bit of a, a, a plug or a commercial. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your information with us. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about enhanced old recovery. And that, uh, from a personal standpoint, and so anybody that wants to know about enhanced oil recovery is more than welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, send me a connection request and and ask questions there and and what have you. Um, you know, I, I really you know I've been in this industry for 22 years. I've basically grown up in the industry, came into the industry straight out of college, and and uh, you know, so I, I just want everybody in this industry to be successful and and. You know, I don't, I don't view any other oil and gas company or service company as any competitor. And if there's, you know, enhanced oil recovery, you know, I just read an article the other day about how eager for wells that were drilled in 2014 are just now paying out, but they're only, they're only averaging like 100 barrels a day, you know, across the whole basin. You know, so if there's people out there in the Eagleford that want to take a look at what I'm doing and what we're doing at P3 as far as enhanced oil recovery, hit me up on LinkedIn and let's all talk about it, man, because... You know, this, this whole, uh, the, the economics of shell plays are a really, really hot seat question and whether they pay out or not. Well, look, man, this might be a way that, uh, you know, we can, we can make the industry start thriving again. And uh, I just really believe that enhanced oil recovery has to be a part of the future, the new future for oil and gas in general. 